So this is uh, one of three times a year I do announcements, and there's tons of them, tons of them. Uh, and so I want to kind of go through some of them pretty quickly and then spend some time on the other ones, and then we're going to transition to the sermon for today. So all of this stuff, you, you, can, you can read it for yourself, men's Tuesday study, women's Tuesday study. Tuesday's just like the, the study day. Essentials is on Wednesday, the 27th of September. That's our uh, basic kind of teachings about the church. If you want to become a member, that's also the class that serves as the prerequisite for that. Uh, I'm going to talk about mother-son bullying a little bit more, but want to camp on Compassion Sunday, October 8th. If you're new to the church, this is where we don't cancel service, but rather than doing uh, service in a traditional way with some songs, sermons, etc. in the room, we go out and serve our community that day. So you can find more information about that on our website, but it's something that we want everyone who is able to participate in. We're not, it's not like a get off of, of Sunday free and watch, watch fo- football Sunday. It's come out and serve our community. It's a big thing for us, so make sure to make that a priority. Also... There's a beautiful flower. It's just a beautiful picture of a beautiful flower. There we go. <laughs> I was like, did that sneak in there, John? I'm like, going, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I don't know what that flower is supposed to represent. <laughs> you guys could just throw me off so easily. Uh, M- Mother-Son Bowlerama, October 7th. Super cool event. Going to kind of rent out the bowling uh, arena. It's just a time for, for moms and, and sons to hang out. Take advantage of that. Even if your son's kind of... Like sons, especially at a certain age, they just act like everything's lame. Just look them in the eye and say, son, I I never told you this, but truth is you're lame. And it hurts me to bring you to this event, but we're going to do it because moms and sons need time together. So there's the web address. Please, please, if you you got a son, take him out. It's going to be a great time. There's going to be dessert. You can find out more information in the, the handout and on the webpage. Also, uh, this comes up every year. I serve on a, the leadership team for something called the Regeneration Project. We just did a kind of private invite only for youth pastors and youth leaders event with Francis Chan. Uh, and in October, we do our kind of annual big event. We'll be dealing with apologetic issues, theology issues, particularly re- relating to, to young people. So if you're in high school, young adult, or if you just want to, to go to that, it's, it's an awesome, awesome time. We bring guest speakers from around the country. It's held in San Jose. You can find more info about that at regenerationproject.org. Also, as many of you know, we've been in the process of looking to hire a campus pastor for our Hollister campus, Pastor Mike Patty. He left to be closer to family on the East Coast, and it's been a two-month process, but we uh, made an offer, and Matt Kirkland has accepted, so you'll be getting to know him. Yeah, yeah, awesome. It's a big deal. Although uh, I think Adolfo from the Hollister campus goes, dude, it almost looks like it could be like a Mike Patty's younger brother or something like that. And I'm like going, it kind of does. It's kind of does. I wonder if we should just, I, I'm going to go announce this in Hollister. So I should just go, we hired Mike Patty's younger brother who lives in the area. This is, and he's, his name's Matt Patty. It's, so you'll be getting to meet him more. Be praying for that transition. It's going to be a big transition from him. He's moving his family from Stockton, got to sell home, got to transition, all that stuff. So also, so that was um, some good news. And this isn't necessarily the opposite bad news, but if, if you're like me, there's, there's, you know, 
I, I never want to spin something in a positive way, but this is kind of like a neutral thing. One of the things that's occurring is our downtown location where Centro Hispano meets, our five-year lease is up, and that price is going to go up to the point where us as a leadership team and a pastoral staff is just valuing our resources and saying the amount that it's going to go up in order to keep that location isn't going to be a wise uh, use of our resources. So Centro Hispano, our Spanish-speaking campus, will be coming back here for the time being in an interim period. And if it works great here, stay here forever. Um, but our end goal is always to have them on a separate location, a separate facility. So there'll be an interim period. We don't know how long that will last. But uh, the kind of puzzle that it makes for us is now there, there's already like a thousand things going on at this campus. And now there's going to be additional thousand things going on at campus. So it's like this crazy puzzle where everything affects everything. It's, you know those puzzles where there's like 20 pieces and they're fun? But then there's those puzzles, and some of you guys do these weird puzzles where there's like, it's like 5,000 puzzle pieces, and it takes you six months to complete it, and then when you do it, you glue it all together, and it's, that's what this feels like, honestly. So be praying for that. Uh, Centro, talk to Pastor Juan, they're actually excited. This room is, is a different now, it has a different vibe, and they can close off the wings to create a different experience here. So uh, looking forward to that, but keep that in prayer. I think I'm almost done. Oh, last one. They told me not, never to name a sermon series this dark, but we're doing it. We're doing it. Starting a couple weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series in the book of Isaiah. Now, we're calling this series The Prophet of Doom, uh, which, which just stick with me. Trust me on this. Um, there's a reason why we're doing that, and it actually turns out to be good news, but you have to wait till like week nine to, to get there. And we did this series called He Has a Name Beforehand. It's a real loving series. God is a shepherd. Eric's going to come up here and talk about God is all powerful. He loves you. And you're going to need to know all that in order to get through the first four weeks of Isaiah. Um, but it's important. It's an Isaiah, the journey through the book of Isaiah for this church will be one of the most formative sermon series for this church. Isaiah is not just a book of the Bible. It's a lens to read the Bible through. It'll be incredibly important. So important that we're doing a kind of series launch, and I forgot the handout, but Kevin, it is Septem September. I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot it. Let's see. This is why I'm not supposed to do announcements. It's Friday, September 29th, here, 7.30 p.m. It's going to be a quick dessert. It's an hour long. We're going to introduce you to this series, some key components, the reasons why we're doing it. It'll be sort of a, a check-in. If you're a small group leader, we want you at this. It's a super important thing, and dessert is free. And we're asking people who are awesome at making dessert to bring more desserts. And there's some people at this church who make really good desserts. So this will be an awesome night of doom, destruction, and sweet dessert. Um, so make sure to come out to that September 29th fall series launch. All the info is there. And I think by God's grace, yes, we are actually done. So uh, Eric and I were talking on the phone last night, and we realized that, um, you know, for a big chunk of you, 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 everyone, you know Eric Smith. He's been the pastor of the church for 30 years. But if you're newer to the church in the last year or two, you may not know him. So he said, hey, inter introduce me. So maybe some of the new people will know him, and I, you know, we kind of made an agreement that I'll introduce him in a nice way, and then he returns in the sermon nice comments about me. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the pound-for-pound pound champion of the world. Most pastors say with the congregation two years, he stayed with this stiff-necked people for 30 years. <laughs> Pastor Eric Smith.
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you, brother. Okay. I'm really looking forward to the Isaiah series. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Hey, you know, it's funny. In the 31 years I pastored here, there was never anyone that I ever considered turning the church over to. Ever. And I wouldn't be here today if Isaac Serrano had not come into view. Uh, he grew up, of course, in the church and became our youth pastor, and obviously it became pretty, uh, it became known in my mind, he's the guy. You know, it's funny when that happens to you, you know, somebody, he's the guy. So I'd still be here if he wasn't the guy, so thank God <laughs> he came along. Carol gives her love, sends her love. She's not feeling real great. Um, uh, she misses you guys more than I do, so she's really... <laughs> she's really broke. <laughs> so she's really brokenhearted. People keep commenting on my hair, that my hair is the longest they've ever seen it. You should have seen it yesterday before I got a major haircut. I've had a throwback to the 60s completely. Wow. And I cut it because I know how intolerant this church is about long hair. So, so I wanted to make sure I'm in conformity. You know what I'm saying? So here we are. <laughs> what other goofy things do I want to say? I don't know. Okay, we're in a series, He Has a Name. It's a mini-series. We're looking at the names or the name and the titles, the characteristics of the God of the Bible. That's how we get to know Him. It's kind of, um, you know, like my name's Eric Smith. That's my personal name, but there are many descriptive titles that uh, tell you about who I am. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a cousin, I'm a cage fighter, I'm all those different things. Uh, and they describe the things I do and they give me an identity, but they're not my personal name. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, Isaac introduced this series. And what's the name? What's the personal name of God? Yahweh. That's his personal name. But there's tons of other ways that he discloses himself to us through various titles. Now, we saw last week that one of the names of Yahweh was Yahweh Ra'ah, which means what? The Lord is my shepherd. There are many compound names of Yahweh where he reveals himself not just as the I am, but the I am the provider. I am your healer. Uh, Yahweh Sidkenu, I am your righteousness. And on and on these things go. Yahweh, of course, is the personal name of God. And so God reveals all these things about who he is. Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh uh, Yaira or Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. On and on it goes. And it's no wonder that David said these words in Psalm 910. He said, those who know your name will put their trust in you. That's why this is such an important series. It's a, it's a little snapshot, and there's so much more, really. This uh, series could have gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, we want to encourage you to know the name of the Lord in such a way that it causes you to trust Him more. It gives you confidence about who He is. That's what this series is all about. 
and we want to learn more about him so we can trust him more. And that's why this series is actually very practical, even though it's theological, it's very, very practical because I believe, personally, this is a strong belief because I've experienced it myself, I believe we become fearful and confused when we fail to know what God is like or when we fail to remember what he is like or when we forget to remember what he is like. We become fearful and confused. We become uncertain about our future. So each week we're looking at one of these characteristics or attributes of God. Now, probably the seminal work in this field is still A.W. Tozer's famous book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Isaac actually referred to the quote I want to show you, the first half of it, um, Two weeks ago, and here's what he said, when it com- what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's pretty interesting, huh? And I think it's true, especially when the chips are down, when we're in a hard place, when there's a challenge we're facing. Then the real belief about what we believe about God surfaces. It's the most important thing about us. And then this part, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And the Bible, of course, confirms what Tozer said. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible says we should guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. The Bible says we're to renew our minds by Scripture and by the knowledge of God so that we can get an accurate picture of who God is. Chip Ingram said, what you think about God shapes your whole relationship with Him. In addition, what you believe God thinks about you determines how close you will grow toward Him. (laughs) That's, That's just true. If you think God's just an angry father waiting to catch you in a dark alley, take you out to the cosmic woodshed and beat the daylights out of you (laughs) because you're so bad off. Uh, That's not going to make you want to be close to him. You know what I'm saying? So this is an important area because I think we tend by personality to turn kind of to the dark side of what we think God might might be like. Of course, if we had unpleasable parents or we grew up with authority figures that were abusive in any way, it's kind of difficult to escape that. That's why the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we do this through the power of Scripture and knowing what God is really like. So, what comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you ask yourself, what does God think about me? Those are important questions. Now, in addition to the name Yahweh and the compound reflections of who God is through those names, God has also chosen to reveal himself through a number, another of other descriptive titles related to the name El. Who knows what El is in the English Bible? El, E-L, or Elohim. It's the English word God. It's a title, it's not a name. Uh, Elohim, Elohim is the creator God. It means the strong one because in Genesis 1-1 we read in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. No wonder he's called the strong one. I mean, that just seems logical if he created the whole world. And so, in addition to El, there are a number of compound titles of this name such as El Elyon, the Most High God, El Olam, the Everlasting God, 
El Tazur, God our rock. El Yisrael, the God of Israel. El Echad, the one God. El Roi, the God who sees me. And, and actually, these names go on and on and on. There are many, many others. But today, we're going to look at this one. This is obviously the most famous, the most popular, the most well-known, El Shaddai. Who knows what it means? Oh, come on. You're killing me here. Who? God Almighty. Thank you. Everybody say El Shaddai means God Almighty. We only spell it with one L, but it should be spelled with two. <laughs> God Almighty. <laughs> That's what it's all about. El Shaddai, the best compound name known uh, of God himself. Now, in Exodus 6.3, it's interesting. We read these words. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as what? El Shaddai, God Almighty, Almighty God. But by my name, the Lord, I did not my, make myself. Now, notice these two words, fully known, fully known to them. Now, it's interesting, this verse has confused people because in the book of Genesis, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the name. They knew the name of Yahweh, but they saw it only as a covenant name. It wasn't fully known until the time of Moses when he saw the burning bush. I am, says, who, who's, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Tell them I am hath sent thee, all right? It means to be in the Hebrew. Remember he saw the burning bush? It burned but was not consumed. That's a symbol of God himself. Anything that burns has to have fuel to burn, but not God. He doesn't have to have any fuel to burn. He just says, I am that I am. There was never a time when I was. There'll never be another time when I am. In the future, when I, where I will be. Because I am, I'm constantly I am. I'm the self-existing one. Now, those men did not know that. Instead, they knew God primarily as El Shaddai. In the English, it's God Almighty or Almighty God or the Almighty. Now, think of it. Even the early church made sure that this important name was front and center in the Apostles' Creed. Most of you could recite it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, El Shaddai, Creator, and it's all linked together, creator of heaven and earth, because Elohim spoke and the world came into existence. That's how powerful he actually is. Today, the theological term for it is omnipotence, and it simply comes from our word. Omnipotence comes from our, the word Latin, omni, all, and potent, strong, powerful. It is identical in meaning to the familiar biblical term El Shaddai, or God Almighty, which first appears in the book of Genesis in 17.1. We're going to just look at three quick points here. We're going to look at what is the meaning of El Shaddai. Number two, what are the characteristics of El Shaddai's power? And then number three, the practical application. What does this title, El Shaddai, mean to me? All right? It was made known to our spiritual forefathers. What is it? mean to me. Okay, first the meaning, the meaning of El Shaddai. Now what's interesting about it is that Shaddai is a unique word and its origins and its meanings are a bit obscure, okay? So they're a little ambiguous 
a little uncertain, but according to my reading, the following words have been used at various times in history as part of the meaning of El or Elohim. Shaddai. Okay, so real quickly, the meaning, the Hebrew word, let me give you four of them. First, the Hebrew word Shah means who, and Dai means enough. So, I like this definition. Thus, El Shaddai is the God who is more than enough. <laughs> I like that. The ancient rabbis used to refer to the term Shaddai as describing God as the all-sufficient one. You got a problem? He can solve it because he's more than enough. And it actually denotes the idea that he sheds forth or pours out his blessings and provisions upon his people. He just overflows with blessing. Number two, the uh, word, now this is a real interesting one, but the Hebrew word shad is the word breast, or shadayim is the plural for breast. It means breasts. And it occurs 24 times in the Old Testament as shaddai. So some have actually translated this as the breasted one. El Shaddai means that. Um, of course, we know that God is not a Canaanite fertility goddess. <laughs> so we, we dismiss all these abstract, esoteric, incorrect interpretations. But on the other hand, you don't want to throw the baby out with a bathwater. So instead, it signifies the one who nourishes, who supplies and satisfies. It describes the nurturing, protective relationship of a mother to her infant child. It's an anthropomorphic figure of speech, and I like it. I like it a lot. A newborn baby finds a safe and secure place at its mother's breast. In fact, think it through. A child finds everything at its mother's breast to survive. Finds love, warmth, nourishments, acceptance, protection, it's all there. And actually, they know, you know, from all the studies, a breastfed baby is much more healthy <laughs> than an artificially fed baby in some other way. So just as this is the case for a new baby, so too we find El Shaddai will meet all of our needs and protect us and bless us. This is a famous passage from Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of El Elyon, God Most High, will abide under the shadow of who? Of El Shaddai, <laughs> of God Almighty. The shadow, I like that. It's a place of under the care and protection of El Shaddai. Number three, this is a unique one. The uh, Akkadian word here that is used for Shaddai is Sadu, and it's actually a Semitic language, an ancient Semitic language from Mesopotamia. It was spoken by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians. And Sudu means mountain, which is interesting. And this one's a pretty, this one is pretty solidly connected to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the word Shaddai. So El Sadu means God of the mountain or mountains and suggests great power and strength and might. That's why we say God is our rock. He's a high mountain, that's for sure. And as such, he's the God who can move mountains. Very clearly, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the midst of the sea, and it will obey you. Now, is it my faith? Do I have the power to do that? Are you kidding? Of course not. 
No, my mustard seed faith is put into the power of a God who moves mountains. We don't move mountains. He moves mountains because he is El Sadu. Last but not least, the fourth one, the Hebrew word Shadad means to overpower or to over, be the overpower. It can actually, it's actually used in the Old Testament to conquer, all right? So El Shaddai is the conqueror. He is the overpowering one. And because of that great power, he must be considered almighty. So Shaddad denotes God's absolute power to achieve all of his purposes, and it means that God will triumph over every obstacle and all opposition in the world to his will and to whatever would interfere in his will for your life, all right? We're told in Psalm 115.3 how powerful God actually is. And I think I missed one verse. That's okay. It actually says, how powerful is God? I like this verse. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does what? He does whatever, whatever he wants to. He does whatever pleases him. That's how powerful he is. Now, to appreciate the first use of this word, which often in biblical interpretation provides you with the key that unlocks its meaning. It's a principle called hermeneutics where you learn how to interpret the Bible. Well, the first place it appears is in Genesis 17 in relationship to our father Abraham. His name was Abram at this time, but I'm just going to use the word Abraham because we're more familiar with it. In Genesis 17:1, we're told that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Now, this is really significant, significant because if you back the timeline up to Genesis chapter 12, we'll find out that when Abraham was 75 and his wife was 65, God appeared to him and said, you're going to have a, a son, you're going to have a child, and from you I'm going to make a great nation. Well, Sarah was barren, Abraham's already 75 years of age, sort of unlikely, they've probably reached their prime and are on decline. It's interesting that if you look it up on the internet or um, Genesis Book of World Records, the oldest woman to ever bear a son, a child, was 66 years of age in terms of history. Uh, and she did it in part because of in vitro fertilization. So here we start the story with Sarah being almost the same age as the oldest woman that's ever had a baby. So at 65, Abraham's 75, God says, you're going to have kids, it's going to be great. So they're like, wow, that's so exciting. Well, nothing happens for 10 years till we get to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, 10 years later. Have you ever had to wait 10 years for something? Who's had to wait 10 years for something? Specific. I mean, I know you waited more than 10 years to get married and stuff like that. Specifically, where you are waiting and praying for something to happen. See, this story is about El Shaddai's ability to keep his promises and to prove himself faithful. But sometimes, oftentimes, his timeline is not the same as ours, right? And so we tend to panic. We tend to become fearful. I know I do. You know, so I want to jump in and help him out. And that's what Abraham did in Genesis 16. You remember that? Couldn't wait any longer. So Sarah said, take my handmaiden, which was not 
considered immoral at the time. It was a cultural thing. It was considered an extension of the primary woman. And so Abraham did that, and they had a son named Ishmael. That created a lot of chaos in the family. It usually does when we jump in and help God out. <laughs> what a mess we make, at least in my case. And I'm always tempted to. You know, like, I just sort of don't think he can handle it or do it right. So, I'm going to do it myself. Well, that's what Abraham did. And so, Ishmael comes along. Fourteen years later, when we get to Genesis 17, 24 years have now elapsed. No baby. Imagine Abraham, 25, 24 Father's Days have come and gone, and he doesn't have a child. God promised he would. Abraham and Sarah are giving it up, you know? They, they know this, this ain't going to be happening now. Kind of crazy. Except that the one that promised has a name, has a title, and that is El Shaddai. And this is where it appears, right into this imposs humanly impossible context. El Shaddai appears, and new life is created. And this is a picture of the gospel. Until all of us become like Abraham and Sarah, and there's no hope within ourselves of finding new life, that's only when God himself intervenes. That's the gospel. If you think you earn it or you can make it happen on your own, you can just forget it. Because it's not until I come to the end of myself that I come to the beginning of God as El Shaddai. And this is an important area for us to understand. I know it's challenging. I know we want God to intervene in these different situations that we're facing and that we're challenged. But God appears in chapter 17, reconfirms the promise that after 24 years, it's still going to happen. God said, I'm going to come back this time next year. So it ends up being a total of 25 years. And Sarah is going to have a baby. And I've always loved this phrase in the Bible, at the appointed time. It's usually not my time. Darn, you know? But it is at the appointed time, 25 years later. So he tells Abraham and Sarah, hey, I'm upping it up. We're going to do this. We'll see you next year. There's going to be a baby. It's going to be exciting. Here's what, here's what Abraham did. He fell on his face and laughed. He said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Isn't that great? Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? You know, I mean, it's just funny. And then I like this one better. Sorry for the small print, but this is about Sarah's reaction in chapter 18. The Lord said to Abraham, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So what did she do? <laughs> she just laughs out loud. You gotta be kidding. Same thing. This is a great story, and many of you know it. It's worth reflecting on. She goes, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And of course, she denied that she laughed. God goes, no, you did laugh, you know? So it's like, the joke's going to be on them, actually. And he that laughs, laughs, laughs best. And so, basically... Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And here was what El Shaddai says, and it's all through the Bible. Is anything too hard 
for the Lord. And that's really a summation of what this word means. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Even though it's humanly possible, impossible. God says, Abraham, you may not know it, but you're ready now. Sarah, you may not know it, but you're ready now. And El Shaddai is ready, and you know what you know the rest of the story. The baby is born, and what's his name? <laughs> his name is Laughter. Isn't that great? Because when he was born, it was just so transcendent, so unbelievable. Haven't you had God actually do a miracle for you, and you're so stunned? You're so beside yourself. It's like, what the heck? I prayed about that, but I never expected it would happen in a million years. Boom, it happened. You're like, whoa, God does answer prayer. It does happen. Now, in Romans 4.16, Abraham is called the father of all who believe, all right? That means if you're a Christian, you're a descendant, spiritually speaking, of Abraham because you've been justified by faith. So, as Abraham's children, why should we, like Abraham, trust El Shaddai? Four more quick points for characteristics of El Shaddai's, Shaddai's power. All right, his power is, number one, unlimited. The Bible's very clear, Mark 10, 27. Jesus declared, with men it is impossible, but not with God for what? All things are possible with God. The name El Shaddai means that God has infinite power that can never be depleted, drained, or exhausted. El Shaddai means that God doesn't need to draw on any source or any person outside of himself for anything. Jeremiah confirms this when he said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard or difficult for you. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I know I'm facing stuff. But I'm honestly, I'm just affirming these things in the face of my difficult circumstances. I'm just believing, you know. God said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things you know not of. Paul said that God is going to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. We have to start believing that God wants to do these things for us. And I'm not trying to solicit a bunch of goofy responses where people start doing irresponsible, irrational things in the name of Jesus and it doesn't fly. I'm talking about real problems that we're facing that we, we want to pray about. We want to call upon God. We want to seek His face and His strength to help us because His power is unlimited. God Himself says in the book of Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too difficult for me? What's the answer? Heck no. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know, God describes Himself that way even at the burning bush when He reveals His personal name. Because these men believed God could do the impossible on their behalf. The verse I quoted a minute ago, because I, um, that's something else I didn't think would be. <laughs> it's good. It's a good point. <laughs> I, I took it out. There's stuff that I had in, they took out. There's stuff I took out, they put back in. It's great. <laughs> Did you know that, that the sun, in one second, the sun emits more power than has ever been consumed by the entire history of the world? Did you know that? In one second. It's going to burn for another five billion years. The thing that's amazing about it is that it's a teeny little sun among a thousand quadrillion 
other suns much larger than it throughout the universe <laughs> in one second. And so I said here, although the sun is powerful, the sun is exceedingly more powerful. And that's true, because the S-O-N made the S-U-N. So we got to believe things are happening. Secondly, his power. Okay, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which you know not of. Why don't you write that verse down, Jeremiah 33, 3, and make it a promise verse and start to claim it and actually call unto him. You know, instead we call everyone else, right? It's true. Okay, number two. It's irresistible. Job said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. It says in Proverbs 19.21, it's been one of my favorite verses. It said, many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. All right? That's why you want to try to discover what God's purpose is for you if you want to live a prevailing lifestyle. If you don't, you can just kind of get banged around the world, bouncing off of different things, following your heart, which can't be trusted, after Job saw the majestic revelation of the sovereignty of God, he experienced an amazing transformation in his point of view and outlook on life. God himself testifies to this. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely, as I have planned, so it will be. As I have proposed, so it will stand. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? What's the answer? <laughs> No one. Number three. There's another inclusion. Hallelujah <laughs> for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. You can see the connection between the Lord God Almighty and the sovereignty of God. He has all the power, so he can reign. If he didn't have all the power, he couldn't reign. But he does reign because he got all the power. Number three. It's effortless. Do you not know, have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow weary or tired, in his and of his understanding there can, no one can fathom. All right, when the Bible says that God rested in Genesis 1 and 2, it wasn't because he was tired, it was because he was finished, okay? Because he, ne he never gets tired, it's not possible. He never gets tired, he never gets weary, Everything he does, he does easily. I've always loved the story in 1 Samuel here. Uh, somehow that is missing, but it's the story of Jonathan and his young armor bearer. They came upon an outpost of the Philistines. They were at war with the Philistines. He's just there with his armor bearer, the two of them, and he sees an outpost of Philistines. And he actually, he said to the young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, perhaps, the Lord, the, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So they went up there, and the two of them wiped out a whole outpost. And I think what Jonathan is saying is that God can just as easily deliver the enemy into our hands of to, into the hands of two people just as easily as if he had used 202 people. All right, number four, finally, it's life-giving. I love this verse. It says that Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. We're also told in Romans, if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. 
The point is only El Shaddai can create life from non-life. Only El Shaddai can give life to the dead. And only El Shaddai can call those things which do not exist as though they did. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, before he did it, he said to Lazarus' sister, Martha, these are just powerful, powerful words. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that my brother will rise on the last day. And he goes, no, I'm talking about right now. <laughs> and so Jesus, who is El Shaddai, went to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come, come forth. And he that was dead came out. Now, that is an unbelievable miracle. The miracle of Isaac being born, that's an unbelievable miracle, but none of these miracles are as great as the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Now, as we close, let's make a couple of personal applications. You ready? What does this whole idea of El Shaddai really mean to me today? All right? What does it mean? Four Things And let me say here that one of the most incredible things about this title and the power of El Shaddai is the Bible is very clear that he wants to share it with us. That's the amazing thing. He wants to share it with us. And that means, I believe, and I'm, I'm really believing this myself, it means that whatever impossibility or difficulty or challenge or mountain you're facing right now, God has the power to solve it. Now, I don't know whether he would choose to. Remember the leper said, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. Jesus himself prayed and said, not my will, but thine be done. So, I mean, I can't just dictate to God whatever I want, but I can trust El Shaddai to do what's best for me, and I can believe it, and I believe he will intervene. Now, the quote I used at the beginning from uh, A.W. Tozer, he was quite a theologian. How about a practical Thing that he said. I love this quote. He said, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. <laughs> That's a great quote. But see, in modern America, in North America, Europe, in many places in the world, we just don't believe this is true. One of the reasons we want to look at the names and the characteristics and the titles of God is so that we can be encouraged to believe that God wants to help us in our current situation. You know, I've prayed many times, too, really hard that God would uh, change my circumstances, but instead He chose to change me in my circumstances, and it ended up not making that big of a difference. You know, but often I, I think to myself, why should I pray when I can worry? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I do. I just do. I'm sort of a worrier um, by nature. And, and I had to quote him a little ahead of myself, but I'm going to use it right here anyway. You know, Martin Luther, of course, the great reformer. Most people don't know a whole lot about his, one of his best friends. His name was, was Philip Melanchthon. And he's considered, you know, Martin Luther was a wild, crazy dude, you know. Is a little gruff and a little rough. But Philip Melanchthon was considered the first systematic reformed theologian. And they were friends and they worked together for many years. But it was unfortunate because Philip Melanchthon was a horrible worrier. <laughs> Maybe that's because he was such a scholastic. I don't, I don't know. But Luther 
who was more relaxed, used to say, let Philip cease to rule the world. That's a great quote, huh? Let Philip cease to rule the world. (laughs) No wonder he's so anxious. Why don't you think about ceasing to rule the world? Because I know you're trying, and it's in vain. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we've got to be careful here. Now, one of the great prescriptions for worry, anxiety, and fear, and I have more of a fearful temper. My wife has more of an angry temper. (laughs) There's two types. So I'm afraid of her (laughs) when she's angry. (laughs) I have more of a, more of a, I, I am a sanguine, but I have sort of a melancholy streak. Where I, and my daughter calls herself a catastrophist. <laughs> She's a, an adolescent psychiatrist and she calls herself a catastrophist. And I told her, yeah, that's genetic, pretty much. Pretty much. You got that from me. <laughs> so I have to work at this. I have to watch myself in a lot of ways. Here's Paul's antidote for that, and it's, it's rock and solid. You ready? It's in Philippians 4 6 through 9. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. I memorize these verses not to impress people because I desperately need to inculcate them into my own mind, my own heart, my own life. I don't do this just as an academic exercise. But here's, here's the message from Paul in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. And in the Greek, that's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. So number one, I want to stop sinning by disobeying God through my lack of trust. Because the passage actually says, stop even worrying about one thing. Well, that's pretty tough. That's pretty harsh. But I'm working at it because it says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends human comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we all want? Don't we want a little peace of mind? Don't we have a, want a little confidence in the storm of life? And it's not getting any better, as you can see. There's more uncertainty now than there's ever been. So he, he says that. He tells us, you know, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he continues. And he says, finally, my brothers and sisters. So not only should we be praying to God, Converting our worries into prayers, really. That's actually how the Message Bible translates it, and I love it. Hey, convert your worries into prayers. How about that as an alternative? Then he goes on to say, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. But instead, we listen to CNN. You know know what I'm saying, right? I'm not kidding. So I've decided, man, the bad reports, bad reports, bad reports. No, he said, whatsoever is of good report, think about that. Whatever is virtuous, think about that. Whatever is pure, think about that. Whatever is true, think about that. Whatever is honest, just lovely. How about that? He says all those things. So we pray, then we think the thoughts of God after him, and at at the end, he goes, and, this last statement, he goes, and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul's describing it, 
do, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that great? So we pray, we think the thoughts of God after him, and then we do his will. But we usually invert that whole thing, right? We run off and do our own thing. Then we think catastrophic thoughts about the situation we've gotten ourselves into. And then at the end, we desperately pray. It's all backwards, really. That's not how El Shaddai wants us to respond to him. In closing, what does it mean? Four things. Oh, I forgot to turn it on. Dang. <laughs> Better late than never. <laughs> it's true. I'm not kidding. I'm going to get all this weird stuff straightened out for the second service. So if you want to stay and really hear a good message, <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, four things real quickly here. When we grow weak and weary, El Shaddai says, he, he says to us, I will be your strength. God proved this miraculously over and over and over and over again in the, uh, in the Bible. And it, we're told that he gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the promise of El Shaddai. He wants to give you his strength. You say, but I feel so weak. Well, God said, basically, remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? He asked God to remove it, and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> Don't you hate that one? <laughs> I hate that one. <laughs> my power is made perfect in weakness. Darn. But Paul goes, this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Isn't that crazy? I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong. I'm just saying it's out there for you. Sometimes God got the, like Abraham and Sarah, bringing you to the end of yourself so you can finally trust El Shaddai to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And maybe today you're here. You're kind of like wiped out. You're exhausted. You're tired. You feel like giving up and giving in. All of that. Well, hey, you're not alone. I love this verse. The psalmist said, I am worn out, O Lord. Have pity on me. Give me strength. I am completely exhausted, and my whole being is deeply troubled. That might be a life verse for some of you. <laughs> you might feel that way this morning because of the disappointments and the demands of life. They do. They deplete us. They drain us of energy and enthusiasm. So what should we do when we're tired and Discourage. El Shaddai says we should seek him. I've always loved this verse. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Finally, Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his what? His mighty power. Paul said, for sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. God can give you the grace to be able to say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even though the power is in jars of clay, it's all surpassing and God has it for you. Number two, when we are facing a crisis, El Shaddai says, I am greater than your, pro your problem. 
The Bible tells us, Hezekiah said in 2 Chronicles when they were being attacked by the Assyrians, an incredibly superior military force. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the army of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's pretty good news. That's why the Bible tells us who can separate us from the love of God. Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors. This is the normal Christian life I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about super saints. I'm just talking about saints, regular saints. These are just ordinary miracles I'm talking about because the Bible, John said, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Number three, when you need a miracle, El Shaddai says, I can perform it. God himself asked Abraham and Sarah this question. Maybe he's asking it to you this morning. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think so. I think the answer is no. Jesus said to the father who had a demon-possessed son, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You remember that? And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that prayer a lot. I believe, help my unbelief. In Luke, Gabriel told Mary, for with God, nothing is impossible. Matthew 17, 20, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, tell that mountain where to go. Nothing's going to be impossible for you. Matthew 9, the two blind men, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Finally, number four, we're done. When we are tempted to play God, El Shaddai says, that's a really bad idea. Let Jake cease to rule the world. Is that good advice, Jake? <laughs> Let Eric cease to rule the world. I'm trying. I'm telling you. It ain't easy being God. Trust me. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. It can be pretty tough. <laughs> I always like the illustration that it's trying to get hard ice cream out of, you know, out of the, the court, whatever it's called, <laughs> the carton, with a plastic spoon. Don't you love that? Don't, don't you love going to a steak dinner and they pass out plastic ware? Breaking the fork, the knife, everything. Why? Those things were not designed to be used for those purposes or in that capacity. So when you try to play God, guess what's going to happen, Mr. Plastic Man? <laughs> You're in trouble. Here's what the Bible says. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. God never designed us to play God or to be El Shaddai. I'm not El Shaddai. I'm El Shadnothing. <laughs> yeah, I just made that up, and that was pretty, that was pretty silly. <laughs> Thank you for that applause. I love that, brother. God bless you. <laughs> okay, let's close our eyes for just a second. Where, be honest, where are you playing God? I caught myself two weeks ago clearly playing God. 
I was so worried. I was so upset. I ended up being embarrassed for myself after I prayed about it and felt God spoke to me and answered the situation. I was like looking back like, wow, that's embarrassing. You know, that I, I got that worried, that upset, that anxious, that fearful, you know, expecting the worst thing's going to happen and all that. You know how you visualize it? And you feel worse and worse, and there's worse visualizing. The Bible says that we're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what is it you're facing? Are you willing to turn that over to God today? Are you willing to say, Lord, I can't handle this, but I believe you can. I don't have the power to do this, but I believe you do. I'm not sure how I'm going to take the next step forward, but you told Gideon, go in the strength you have. Help us today to rise up and trust you. Help us to say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're here today and you're not even a Christian, you need to realize you never will be. You never will be. Um, because you can't save yourself. If you simply try on your own, it's not possible. Only El Shaddai through Jesus Christ can, can cause you to have new life, to cause you to be what the Bible calls born again. You can't do it on your own. It's a picture of the gospel, what Abraham and Sarah faced. It was, it was impossible. They knew it. God knew it. And once they accepted that, God worked on their behalf and brought new life. The same thing can happen to you. But you have to surrender. You have to turn it over. You have to be willing to uh, give your life to God and stop playing God yourself. Lord, help us in all these areas, in our family, at work, with our finances, uh, the future, the uncertainties. Lord, help us to stop focusing on bad stuff and start thinking thoughts that are true, honest, just, pure, and lovely. Strengthen all of us to trust you more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.